Um, I'm glad you're here today. We're finishing up chapter 4 of Ephesians. Uh, last week we talked about you were made different to be different. And Paul just kept expressing that and expressing that to the church, the church as a whole in Ephesus. And he was talking about putting off the old self you once were non-believers, but now you're new believers, and you're new. You're a new creation. You're holy, righteous, and redeemed. And he keeps expressing specifics of now. What does that look like? I get that question all the time. What does it look like to walk by the Spirit? And sometimes you have to be very specific about it. And I think this is what Paul has done. He's continuing to do that today. Uh, and, and here is this passage of scripture that it was written to the church, the church, big C, the church at Ephesus. But really, it's for us even here today, the church. But when we read this passage of scripture, for some reason, we immediately go to this relationship with our spouse. It's like, well, you can include that because my relationship with my spouse is a part of the church. And if it's good enough for the church, then obviously it's good enough for my family. So this is where we pick up today. In verse 25, it says, Therefore, putting away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. That's an actual quote from the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah 8.16. So Paul is now quoting an Old Testament prophet because they're not familiar with it, so I'm going to use that. But here, here's what I like. He says, put aside lying. Remember last week what we said is like, it, if you want to know what it looks like to walk by the Spirit, quit trying to think about walking by the flesh. Like, that's not the goal is to not walk by the flesh. The goal is to walk by the Spirit. So literally he says, okay, put aside lying. <laughs> just, just forget about lying. Here's what I want you to do, is I want you to tell the truth. I'm, I'm going to, I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That's what he's literally saying here is just speak truth. When when truth is literally spoken among those who are members of one another, that being the church, amazing things happen. The whole individual members of Christ's body, which is you, experience this, I believe, a rapid spiritual growth. Like, I, I don't know if it's a hit or if it's a plus, but... Uh, people tell me all the time that I'm very direct, that I'm very, just say what it is. And I'm okay with that because I, I think that's what Paul's saying is, is just be truthful. There's no necessarily condemnation that comes behind that. It's just, this is fact. This is true. This is what it is. And I believe that lying really stymies the growth that it's expected and it just destroys the, the common life of the body of Christ. So he says, just speak truth. In verse 26, he says, be angry. <clears throat> he says, be angry. 
be angry and do not sin. There's many times in the Bible where you can go back in the Old Testament and you can see that God is angry. And because God is angry, you pretty much know that it's a righteous angry. There's a reason to be angry. But how do you be angry and not sin? And he quickly follows up, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Again, he's quoted the be angry and do not sin from the Old Testament is actually Psalms 4.4 when David says that. But here's the thing about don't let the sun go down on your anger. Again, I said earlier, we take this and we apply it to our spouse. That you'll hear this information all the time and you'll have couples say, you'll have couples say that, uh, yeah, we don't ever go to bed mad at each other. Uh, so we're going to stay up all night and hammer this thing out. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. <laughs> if you stay up all night, you're going to get more tired. And to have these fruitful, I mean fruitful conversations, it's going to take energy. And you're losing energy by not getting any sleep. So when he says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, he's really talking about for a season. He's not talking about that night. Because I, I'm an honest believer, hey, I'm going to bed and I'm going to get some sleep and we can continue this conversation tomorrow when we're healthy and energized. Yeah, I, you can sleep through the night, hopefully, but that's literally what he's talking about. The words, be angry, this abiding, this settled attitude of righteousness is really what he's talking about. Is It's not like I'm right and you're wrong, but it's like, what is right? Remember this, we just said this in the last couple of weeks, there's only one truth. You, Everybody has their opinions, everybody has their experiences, but there's really only one truth. So when God gets mad or Jesus got mad, he got mad in in the temple because they were selling these sacrifices that were keeping people from God, he was angry and he had, he had a reason to be angry. But to sit in it and to settle in it, he's like, don't, don't let it fester. Don't let it go on. That's the anger that is forbidden. There's reasons to be angry. I think 11 years ago, the very first chaplain visit that I did, it was a couple who lost their four-month-old baby. And we've always got families that have lost children. And I think there's a period of time where you're angry that that's part of the grieving process. You go through grief and you go through different things and but you, 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 you couldn't, you can't sit there. Yeah, like, who wouldn't be angry? But eventually you have to walk away from that anger. And you have to see the bigger picture. Now, honestly, I've lost friends over saying that statement. That you have to move from your anger. I've literally lost friends. No, I have the right to be angry for as long as I need to be. Okay, you can. 
you can, but you'll see what happens here in just a second. We can move on to Scripture. Verse 27, it says, And don't give the devil an opportunity. And basically, he's saying, this, this is forbidding the continuance of, of any action that is already going on. Falling control, uh, f falling con to control anger just grants the opportunity for the evil one to work in your life. Uh, and then he can begin to use that as a base of operation to launch more spiritual tax attacks against you. Uh, I, I honestly believe that many many believers, many Christians are, are suffering today because of anger that was not resolved in days past. Some of that has even been through the church. Angry at the church. There's a lot of people that don't want to go to church anymore. I get it. And that anger is just one of the complex range of emotions that humans experience. And I believe if the evil one can seize our emotions, like I, I believe my emotions have been redeemed because I'm a holy, righteous person. I still have emotions, and sometimes the emotions will impact how I think. They'll impact what I do. But I also know that I have the Spirit of God living inside of me, and sometimes those emotions lie to me. They're not true. And I have to be able to filter what's true and what's not true. And I have to be able to think about how do I respond? How do I, how do I deal with that situation? Like, I, can I say this all the time to my family, to my kids. You can have the same conversation without emotion. And you're going to get the word across. You can say the same thing. They're going to hear it. But they're going to hear it differently if there's a lot of emotion. And it may not come out like you want. But when he literally says, and don't give the devil an opportunity, uh, we again, again go back to marriage and spouses. And, you know, one of the things that I say in premarital counseling, now that I have Chloe and Sam here, uh, here's the, the top three reasons for divorce. It, and I've done counseling. Anybody in here know what those are? I, I say them all the time. Finance. Uh, finances is number two. Communication is number one. Yes, you went through the premarital over there. Communication is number one, and number three is no. That's the mother. The mother. The the mother of the bride is number four. But number three is sex. All right. So that's hilarious. Yeah, the the mother of the bride is number four, typically. But, like, uh, communication is important. It, like, here, here's an experience that happened in our house this last month. Michelle's, like, going, oh, gosh. Uh, but all these events were happening, and I'm, like, double booking things. And I'm, like, why is this double booking? And she was, we have this Google calendar that we put everything on, and we know every, what we're doing, but... Somehow, her Google email address changed. She used a different one, and she was putting things on the calendar under a different 
Google address. And so it wasn't coming up on my calendar. And I was like double booking. It was just like for the last three or four weeks, we're like, we're not communicating. Something's not working right here. This, you know, and it was just as simple as that was like moving things from one calendar to another, but being able to communicate effectively, if not the evil one can move in and, and really cause a disruption. And then the emotions get flared up and everything else. And uh, I think the the money thing is a big deal. I, I in my in our house, uh, I'm pretty much the manager. She says I'm the controller. <laughs> we have the B word, the budget, and uh, I send the budget to her every month, and she can see what we have and what we have spent and everything else, and. Uh, but I, I deal with a lot of families like all, only one person knows what the money situation is. I'm not pointing fingers. I'm just saying I, I know that's what the situation is. And and if this is a partnership, you, you both have to know what's going on. You're both playing a part of that because money is a big part of it. And then uh, I told my kids I was going to talk about sex. And they're like, oh, God. <laughs> Uh, Paul wrote to the husbands and wives, and we've already studied this in 1 Corinthians, he's like, stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But sometimes uh, in relationships, again, uh, sex is used as a device to uh, control, to reward to uh, manipulate or to not manipulate. And it's all these things that he's like saying, Do, don't let these things become an issue because the evil one wants that to be. Like, like literally, sex is a gift from God and it's intended for intimate purposes. For the husband and wife to be one flesh. Not as manipulation, not as holding out, not as, but it is a part of this, uh, of a relationship. So even like the spiritual warfare gets down to the nitty gritty in the home, is what he's talking about. And again, I'll say this is one of the things that I say. Uh, okay, so that's the top three or four things of the reasons for divorce. But it really comes down to one thing. If you pile all those together, it really comes down to either one or both partners are selfish. Which is basically selfishness is walking by the flesh. That's it. That's what it comes down to. You You can say this is the reason this happened and this is the reason this happened, but... It really comes down to either one or both being selfish. That you have to be on the same page and walking by the Spirit. I'll move on. Verse 28 says, Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he's to do honest work with his hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. 
George Mueller said this, it is not right and scriptural motive to be engaged in a trade or business or profession merely in order to earn the means for the obtaining of the necessaries of life for ourselves and family. But we should work because it's the Lord's will concerning us. When he says that, I think about this. What Paul just says, let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he has to do honest work with his hands. Why is he doing that? Well, one, to provide for his family. I believe the Lord has provided for my family. I do work. You all know what I do. You, you don't see everything that I do, but I do work and provide for my family. But there's something in the in the budget that I'm sure that most people don't have in their budget. There, there's a line right here, he says, so that he has something to share with anyone in need. How many of you have a line in your budget that says for others? I mean, that's, that's, that's why we work, not just for our own provisions, but there's going to be people in need. We... There's going to be situations even in this room where we have to help each other. And so he's saying, go work, go work, make, make keep. Not so that you can mooch off of everybody, but so that you can take care of your family and you can really take care of everybody else. I look around the room and I see it all the time. I know that you have the four others line on your budget. Because I see you doing it. You do it for me, my family. You do it for others. I try to do it for others. That's really what he's saying. Verse 29, he says, No foul language should come from your mouth. Even if the Sooners lose 49 to nothing to Texas. That's a hard one. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. <laughs> I get it. You know, I'm a, I'm a dude. Uh, there's guy locker room talk all the time. The guys hang out all the time. It's unwholesome. It's corrupt. I'm not looking at anybody. But, he says, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear, to build up, to encourage. Why do we find this difficult? Just a, a simple press on the like button. Trish, I gave you a hard time last week because you're always commenting on everybody's Facebook. But let me encourage you, the way that you do it is very loving. You do it a lot, and that's a good thing. He says, be encouraging, build others up. But, I mean, what if you just called them? What if you just call and check on them rather than texting? What if you write a handwritten letter, which reminds me I have to go home and write one today for my buddy Mike that's at the banquet. 
What if you send it to their face while you're looking in their eyes? In my house, I try not to say I'm, I'm proud of my kids, but I try to like look them in the eye and tell them why. It's a lot. It's a lot more challenging for me to be specific about it than just say, "Oh, I'm proud of you." To look them in the eye and tell them, "Man, you make me so happy when you do this, or because you're this, or that's." So yeah, I get it. We're gonna um, tell jokes and we're gonna say stupid stuff, and that's what he said all the time. I get it. You know, it's. Um, Tozer says this to preach the truth the prophet must be under the constant sway of the Holy Spirit he must be driven to God for wisdom otherwise he will not pierce the conscience of each listener as if the message had been directed to him or her alone further it is necessary that the man of God know the people's heart better than they do themselves themselves do And then I get to this uh, verse right here. I, I actually love this verse. Verse 30, it says, And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You, you know how that's been interpreted over the years. Over the years, that's like, don't sin because it makes God very unhappy. That's the way it's been interpreted. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. So, one, if there's no condemnation... First of all, let's back up. How many times did Jesus die on the cross? One, one time. And so when he died, he died for all your sins, which you weren't even born yet. He died for all of your sins that you've already done, that you're doing, that you're going to do, your past, present, and future sins. He took care of that forgiveness. And then Paul says in Romans that now there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation in this room. You come here and I know the junk that you do and you know the junk that I do, but there's no condemnation. So it's not that he's upset with my sin because whatever I'm going to do today that's sin, which is me walking by my flesh, he took care of 2,000 years ago. You got that? That 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 that. So how, how do you not grieve the Holy Spirit? Because he's loving and kind and friendly, and obviously he can be grieved because it says he can be grieved because he is loving. There's got to be love present for grief to be existent. So what does this mean? I was sitting at a breakfast, and I would say this in front of my friend. Uh, I have sad breakfasts and good breakfasts and things like this, but this was a sad breakfast. And uh, this dude across from me, he knew all this almost better than I did. I don't know. I'm not judging him, but he knows about he's holy, righteous, and redeemed, yet he was totally making some fleshly choices. And I'm sitting there like going, man, he knows this, yet he's still making these bad choices. I just hurt for him. 
because there's nothing I can do. And I, all of a sudden I went, oh, that's, that's what it means when it says don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Like the Holy Spirit has done all this and you're sealed, you're holy, you're righteous, redeemed. And you know it, you know it, yet you're still choosing not to like walk in it. It's not about the sin. It's not about that. It's just like there's this great gift that has been given to us, and it's like, ah, oh, it's right there. Just hang out in it. There's nothing I could do for my friend. And I think the Holy Spirit is constantly calling us as we choose to walk by our flesh. He's not busting my chops about what I'm doing. He's just saying, I made you holy. I made you righteous. I've forgiven you. You're good. You're good. And that's the truth, and that's what I have to sit in. That's how, what I have to like grasp and claim and to walk in. Just walk in it. Yeah, I'm going to mess up. I still mess up, but I'm good. I'm good. You're good. <laughs> Tozer says, I remind you that there are churches so completely out of the hands of God that if the Holy Spirit withdrew from them, they wouldn't find out for many months. That's... Uh, sad, but that is absolutely true. I think that's what we call religion and formality. But to know when God can speak to you and to call you home and to call you back and to encourage you and convict you. He, what he convicts you of, it says in John, he convicts us of our righteousness. That's what he convicts me of, my righteousness doesn't convict me of my sin. He does that to the world, to the non-believers. But to me, he's constantly telling me that I'm righteous. Verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you, along with all malice. I'll say this, and this is what I was talking about, about sitting in your anger and everything else that you become bitter. No one wants to be around bitter people. If you harbor bitterness... And it comes out like just a vile thing, you're going to find yourself isolated because no one wants to hang out with that. And then when you become isolated, you become even more bitter, become more angry. That bitterness. <laughs> is probably directly proportional to the number of friends that you have. Verse 32, it says, he begins to, to, to turn it here. He says, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. This, the idea is that they had to abandon one mental condition that they were unforgiven and make it their way beginning there and then and move into its opposite. You're forgiven. I, I Literally, you've had to do that in this room because most of us here grew up 
loving Jesus and believing that Jesus died for us, but believing that Jesus died multiple times every night when we ask for forgiveness. But the idea that he's took care of it one time and has totally forgiven us, for you to embrace that and to walk in that, it changes everything. Just as God also forgave you in Christ, we're to forgive one another. Everything in the past, everything in the present, everything in the future. Some of you in this room are really hurting because of what other people have done to you. What other Christians have done to you. And, it, and, and I'll say this, in your own flesh, you're probably not capable of forgiving them. But that's why there's a spirit living inside of you. Because he can. And he can cause it to happen in you. And if unity's to exist here with the church, we're literally going to have to learn to forgive each other. He moves into uh, chapter 5. He doesn't move. We move into 5. It says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. The word mime or to mimic comes from this Greek word is to imitate what God does. To walk in love. To be constantly ordering your behavior within this sphere of love. What does that look like? I, I honestly don't try to imitate God. I try to listen to the Spirit inside of me. And when I do that, it causes me to be obedient. And when that happens, then I am imitating God. But hopefully I'm not doing it in my own strength, because if I even did that, try to... to uh, mimic God in my own strength, that would be sin. Jesus didn't imitate the Father. He let the Father work through him. He's like, the things that you see me do, this isn't me, this is my Father doing it through me. Thus being a reflection of God. He says, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us. A sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. I I don't think any believer, any saint, any holy righteous person can walk in love in their own strength. You might be able to do it for a while. But at some point that will fail. Unless the power of the Holy Spirit empowers that person for him to do so. And then Verse 3, it says, But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard among you, as is proper for saints. You have to think about what the church of Ephesus, it had a Roman Empire, you know, guiding it and directing it, and the Romans were pretty corrupt. The whole word pornea, which is where we get our word porn, was talking about illicit sexual relationships. That's what happened that have just became so common with the Romans, fornication, that it was just an everyday part of their life. Well, guess what? It's not any different today. 
work, sitting at home watching Netflix, and we just see it all the time. Everything we do, we turn on our smartphones and we see it. And it's just the moral life that we have today is probably much, not much different than the Greco-Roman world that Paul's talking about here. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you. It says, obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. Foolish talking, court, coarse gesturing. You know, uh, again, it goes back to that, just hanging out. And what are we focused on? We need to really exchange our indecent talk with giving thanks. Is um, my, and I, I thought about it like this as my daughter's getting married and she's going to these showers and everything else, and it's like I keep saying to Michelle, I just want the showers to stay classy. I just want them to stay classy. Because that's the heart of a dad. I mean, I, I know what goes on. I, yeah, just keep it classy for my daughter because I love her. And I, I, I just think God's saying the same thing for us. Just keep it classy, you guys. Just keep encouraging one another. Keep loving one another. Do away with the crudeness. And then the last verse says, For no one recognize this. Every sexual, immoral, or impure, or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And really what he's talking about here is like, not, not saying if you do this, you, you don't get in, sorry. He's basically saying that's the natural behavior of a non-believer. That's, that's what he's literally saying here. Like, you would expect this behavior from a non-believer, someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. But you're not that way. You're of Jesus. You love Jesus. You have the Spirit of God in you, and He directs you, and He guides you. Their lifestyle of habitual sin confirms that they're unredeemed. But what are you going to do as a church, as believers with the Spirit of God in you? How are you going to show the world that you're different, that you were made different to be different, that you're separated light from darkness that what's the difference between walking by the spirit and walking by the flesh that's what you've been given the ability to do that is to walk by the spirit rather than by the flesh and when that is done the world will know that you're different and actually they'll want what you have because what they have is not working And I would say the same thing for religion. Religion doesn't work. I can say that because I've been there and done that. I've played the game. Played it good. But it didn't work. Found me under my desk. Crying like a baby. And calling my mom as a 37-year-old man. That's what religion did to me. 
And then I had a different perspective. And everything changed. And yeah, I still walk by my flesh sometimes, but I'm learning to walk by the Spirit more and more every day. And I will not go back. I will not go back to religion. I won't. It's changed everything. I think it's changed uh, me. I think it's changed my wife. I think it's changed my kids. It's changed my ministry. And um, that's all Paul's trying to say is, get this, get this, whatever. Just get this. Stop walking by your flesh. Stop doing all these things and do these things. Yeah, sorry we have to like list them. <laughs> but that's what it is. So Lord, uh, man, that is my heart today. Because I know it's your heart. That we just figure out what it means to walk by the Spirit. That you teach us every day. Yeah, we know we're going to blow it. You already dealt with that. But I just pray that everybody here is encouraged. They can walk out of this room with their heads held high, knowing that they're they're good. They're good. That they um, are holy. Because you did it for them. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.